The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We are so glad that you're present with us uh, for this worship service, and I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. We're going to begin a a new study this morning, Um, and I don't know what I was doing in 2017, scheduling Romans and Leviticus in the same year. They're two uh, really difficult books, and um, I've had to do a lot of study for this, and I I hope that you'll be be blessed um, by our our few weeks in in this um, Old Testament book. We're going to begin by reading just the first nine verses from Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Well, we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and given to us for our learning and also for our benefit. This means that there is something for Christians today in every book, every chapter, and every verse of the Bible. Now, there are parts of Scripture that carry more weight than others. Jesus talks about the greatest commands. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions certain teachings that were of first importance. Now, now everything that Paul presented to the church was important, but he acknowledges that some things were more important than others. And we recognize this, and this is why we spend more time in the Gospels And we emphasize things like the greatest commands and other significant passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 15. But that being said, it is our goal as the body of Christ to study all Scripture. And we don't want to leave anything out. And so we are committed to looking at everything that God has given us. And so because of this commitment, we're going to spend some time, a few weeks, in the book of Leviticus. Although it's one of the first books that we encounter in the Bible, it is a book that is often overlooked and neglected. And this is mainly because of its content. It is not filled with narrative. We don't find exciting stories in the book of Leviticus. 
It's not even a book of poetry. It is a book of instructions. And many of the instructions that we encounter are foreign to us. They're not something that that we've seen or experienced in our own lives. However, the book of Leviticus is a crucial book in the Bible. It's found in the Torah. Um, These are the books of instruction, sometimes called the Pentateuch, uh, the five books of Moses, another name for them, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They were revered in Israel, much like the Gospels are revered among Christians today. Leviticus is the middle book in this section, and most scholars believe that this is not by accident. It is the heart of the Torah. It holds the other books together. Uh, It was given this central location on purpose. And yet today, it is the least known out of the five. The name Leviticus comes from the Latin translation of a Greek word. It means the Levitical book. Um, the, The Levites, as you know, were the tribe of priests. And although priests do play a prominent role in Leviticus, it's not a book just about priests. It's not a book just for priests or a select few. It is an important book that reveals the character of God and many other things. It is a book for all. Most Hebrew names for books of the Bible are taken from the first word of the book. Uh, We see this in the book of Genesis. It famously opens with these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, The word Genesis means beginning. Well, the first word in Leviticus is God called. And so the Hebrew name for the book is different than our English name. Uh, Jewish scholars point out that this word, God called, is in contrast to chance. And so as followers of God, uh, we do not believe in luck or chance. What we believe in is the providence of God. Uh, We see the the hand of God in our lives. And this first word in Leviticus reminds us that God is in control. The opening of Leviticus invites us to have a particular outlook on life. Now, there are different ways that, that we can look at life, and we need to be sure and choose the right one. You know, we can see life as something that we are in control of. I can say that I have what I have because, you know, I'm a smart person who works hard. It's because of my abilities. It's because of my work ethic that I have these things. It's all because of me. We can also say that life is chance. You know, I just happen to be at the right place at the the right time and this good thing happened to me. I was on a lucky streak, or the opposite, I had a string of bad luck. And in this view, no one is really in charge. You know, we are not responsible, nor is a higher being involved. Uh, Nothing really happens for a reason. It's chance. Or we can see life as something that God oversees. 
And so we give God the credit for all the good things that happen in life. And this is the biblical view, not just in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. And this is the view that Leviticus wants us to adopt. God calls, God blesses, God looks after his own. Now, we need to be aware of these different outlooks because rather than just adopting one, most of us probably use a mixture of all three of these. You know, sometimes we take credit for the good things that happen in our life. Other times we may say, well, that was just luck or it was just chance. And then there are the times when we give God the credit. The book of Leviticus begins with a reminder that God is the one in control. Uh, The life of a Christian is not a life left to chance. It is life lived under the protection and providence of God. Well, this morning, as a way of introduction, I want us to focus on two prominent themes that show up throughout the book of Leviticus. Um, These are, are subjects that we're going to revisit throughout this series, but I think it's important to begin by defining and unpacking these two themes which are essential not only to Leviticus, but to all of Scripture. And they are holiness and sacrifice. And so we'll start with holiness. The word holy appears only one time in Genesis. It's found 16 times in the narrative section of Exodus and 15 times in Deuteronomy. It appears 87 times in Leviticus. This is a book about holiness. Well, why is holiness mentioned so many times in Leviticus? Well, it is a book that focuses on the tabernacle. And therefore, because the tabernacle is a prominent thing in Leviticus, it's a book about the presence of God. And so holiness begins by acknowledging the presence of God in our midst. And this is what the tabernacle accomplished. It was the dwelling place of God that traveled with the people wherever they went. God was among them. And they were constantly reminded of his presence. And this established the foundation for holy living. Okay, What does it mean to be holy? What, what does the word holy mean? It means to set aside or to designate for a special purpose. And so, for instance, marriage is holy because a woman dedicates herself to her husband and a man dedicates himself to his wife exclusively. When God establishes the nation of Israel as his own, it's often described in marital language. Um, You know, a husband and wife. Israel is the bride of God. The people are designated to God to be exclusively His. They are to worship God alone. They are to serve Him only. And if they go after other gods, then they commit adultery. They become unclean. Holiness, though, applies more than just to people. 
In fact, two of the first things that God designates as holy are time and space. And so you'll notice Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so time is something that belongs to God. It's something that he has established. He is in charge of time. The Sabbath was a day that God's people set aside to acknowledge God and to acknowledge his presence in the world. And the Sabbath set Israel apart from other nations. And this was especially evident during the exile when the people of Israel were carried off into other lands and other countries. And so, you know, as as they're living in these other places, the modern weekend had yet to be established. And when Saturday rolled around, you know, people would get up, they would go to work, they would go about their everyday business, just, just like normal, except for the people of God. They did not do what everyone else was doing. They ceased from their work. They observed the Sabbath and acknowledged God's sovereignty over time. Now, if we allow it, time will control us and time will ultimately defeat us. Uh, Just think about it. We say things like, we never have enough time. We race against the clock. We try to cram as many things into a day as we can. Time is our enemy. But we always lose because time goes on and on and on. But we don't. Time gets the best of us. What's the answer? Well, God provides the answer in the Sabbath. He reminds us that He is God of all, including time. And we do not fight against time like everyone else. We resist it and we dedicate ourselves and our time to God. We practice holiness by ceasing from these everyday activities and acknowledging the presence of God. We praise Him and glorify Him with our time. We use our time to serve Him. Well, as we continue to do this, we are reminded that there is a time beyond this time, and that's what the Sabbath ultimately pointed to. God has provided an eternal rest for those who serve and obey Him. The writer of Hebrews speaks of this rest. He says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There is a future Sabbath. There is a future rest, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us. And so Genesis opens by reminding us of the holiness of time. Leviticus reminds us of the holiness of space. And so the tabernacle was a dedicated space for the presence of God. It was his dwelling space. He went with his people so that they would always know that he was with them. Now later, 
God was given a permanent dwelling place in the temple. Um, and so that, that, was his, that was where he resided. And yet, there are other passages that remind us that all space belongs to God. There are many of these. I'll point out one, Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's. Everything is God's space. Uh, the word tabernacle is found in John 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The, the word dwelt there is the word for tabernacle. And so God's presence was manifested in Jesus of Nazareth. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul would inform us that, that we, the church, the body of Christ, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we are a holy space, and we are to create holy spaces as we go out into the world. We are to be reminders of God's presence on this earth. And so the book of Leviticus may seem foreign to us, but the themes that we find inside are still quite relevant to us today. The other big theme we encounter is sacrifice. And so beginning in chapter 1, we find instructions regarding sacrifices. And many people don't want to read Leviticus because we don't make sacrifices like that today. Um, but I, I would say that we continue to make sacrifices. It's not just the way that we read in Leviticus. Um, sacrifices are still an important part of Christianity, even though they don't look like what we read about in Leviticus. And so we must begin by understanding God's intention behind sacrifices. And so God uses things in this world. He uses language. He uses customs. He uses things that we are familiar with. And so, for instance, when God gives the people um, his word, the, the New Testament in the first century, he gives it to them in Greek. Why? He could have chosen any language he wanted to. But it's because Greek was the common language at the time. It was something they could read. It was something they could understand. He doesn't give it to them because, you know, it's his language. He doesn't give it to them because he thinks it's the best language. God makes it as easy as possible on us. Now, in the book of Leviticus, God gives the people a system of sacrifices. And at the time, there were other religions that also had a sacrificial system. So this is not something that is unique to Israel. It was something that people understood. It was something they were familiar with. But at the same time, God's sacrificial system is different from the pagan one in a very important way. And so pagans used sacrifices as a way to appease the gods. They were attempting to neutralize uh, the chaos. They were trying to gain favor with the gods or, um, you know, bargain with them in some way. This is not what we find in the Levitical system. Why? Well, a couple reasons. First, it is clearly stated in several passages 
that God cannot be bribed. We find this in Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. You cannot bribe God. Second, we cannot give God something that he doesn't already own. David says this in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So what is sacrifice, and and why does God require it? God cannot be bribed. Everything that we give, even today, when we, you know, make a sacrifice as as we just did this morning, when we... um, um, give of our means. That's a sacrifice, a form of sacrifice. We're not giving anything to God that he doesn't already own. He owns all things. Okay? So, so what is sacrifice? Well, it's an act of love. It is a blessing that God gives us. Think about it this way. God is our father, and we are his children. And so our relationship with him is like that of a parent and a child. And a parent gives his child, whatever he needs. And children are dependent upon their parents. If a child gives a parent a gift, it is a token gesture. Um, it, you know, it's, the, the parent is not dependent upon that child giving them something. However, parents also understand how important it is for children to be able to give. And so it, it provides them with a sense of dignity. It gives them self-worth. And so what does a good parent do? A good parent humbles himself or herself and blesses their child by providing an opportunity for them to give. And this is what it means to sacrifice to God. God does not need anything from us, but he humbles himself and blesses humanity by allowing them to give something back to him. Now, later in the prophets, you find passages where sacrifices are condemned. Amos 5, 21 through 24. This is because the, the, the people of Israel begin to treat sacrifices just like the pagans. They think that they could buy God off with their sacrifices. They thought that they could bargain with God. They thought they just make their sacrifices, you know, and then everything's going to be good. And the prophets call them out on this and say, no, you can't do that. Sacrifices are supposed to be an act of love. Of course, the ultimate sacrifice was one God made himself on the cross. And there he showed us what love is by laying down his life for us. And this voided any further animal sacrifices. But it did not void the the practice of sacrifice. The call to discipleship is one to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. Uh, Walter C. Kaiser Jr. said this of the book of Leviticus. At the core of Leviticus is a conviction 
that human life is most rich, beautiful, and free when amid the confusion of life, people fashion themselves into offerings to God. The greatest sacrifice we can make is to give ourselves to God. There are several words for sacrifice that that we find in Hebrew and Greek. Uh, But one of them that's found in the book of Leviticus means to come near. Sacrifice is when we come near. And so when we sacrificially give ourselves to God, we come near to Him. And we show ourselves to be a holy people. Holiness and sacrifice are grand themes in Leviticus. And as we enter this study, we will want to consider how we are being holy and how we are being sacrificial. How are we a holy people? How are we being holy with our time? How are we creating holy spaces as we go out into this world? What kind of of sacrifices are we making for God? How are we giving ourselves to Him? As we strive to live holy and sacrificial lives, we draw near to God, we live in His presence, and we invite others to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your holy word. And it is our desire not to neglect any of your word, but to study all of it, to find the blessings that you have given us as you speak to us through this word. As we open the book of Leviticus, we are reminded that you have called us to be a holy people, that we are dedicated to you and you alone. And that we are on this earth for your purpose. And that involves sacrifice. That as we go through life, we must deny ourselves, And we must strive to follow in the footsteps of your son. Who showed us what it means to live a holy and sacrificial life. We pray this in his name. Amen.